0: Welcome to the original and
1: the best Power Hour with Alex Burr and Dylan Hughes, members and podcasts of the Running Hook Podcast Now, Hello and welcome to another edition of the Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour. Dylan Hughes, I have not one, but two curveballs for you this week, my friend. The first one, as I'm sure you saw, Cleveland Indians are changing their name m- long, long overdue to the Cleveland Guardians. I'm not going to ask you if you like the name, although I actually before I ask the question, do you like the name Guardians?
0: <laughs> um, You know, I haven't looked. Like, have they given a reasoning why it's the Guardians? I,
1: well, they have Guardian statues, like, literally right outside the baseball stadium, like, on the highway, I think. So I think that's the reason why they're changing it to the Guardians. It's very Cleveland appropriate.
0: I mean, you know, I don't know. I, I don't, I, I'm going to say I don't have an opinion at this time.
1: Fair. Now, my question is, what is your least favorite team sport name?
0: Um, I mean, I'm kind of just sick of like the bird, the bird stuff. Like how many Cardinals do we need? I love Cardinals. Like, you know, every time Not I St. see Louis it, ones, no, no, every, you know, just, just from a, a bird standpoint, big fan of Cardinals, you know, but like, we get it. Okay. We get it. You know, like we see it every half of the college football teams are the Cardinals, I mean, there's damn near cardinal in like every sport, or at least in baseball and football. So like, I'm just over it. You know, like there's I mean, half of the college football teams like they're all some kind of bird, and I'm just I'm just over it. I'm over birds. Like, let's get like the pelicans. I'll give them because there's no team named the pelicans. You know, I I can respect that. But if you want to go with an off-brand kind of bird, like, do we have any teams named the Seagulls? I don't think so. I'm a big fan of Geese. Can we get a team named after Geese? I don't know. But, like, Ducks, Cardinals, it's just too much at this point.
1: I mean, Seagulls are probably a minor league baseball team name, but I I hate to this to you, to do this to you, Dylan, but the Seagulls are an abjectly terrible bird. I mean, they suck no offense, I don't know if you like seagulls or not i just I hate seagulls and i I couldn't abide being a fan of a league with a team named the seagulls. I just couldn't do it.
0: I don't like seagulls either. I mean they are bottom they're the bottom feeders of birds, I think like they they just sit around waiting for you to drop food, you know, I just don't have much respect for the hustle on that. I'm just trying to think off the board like can we get a different type of bird besides cardinals, eagles falcons like Hawks. let's let's Hawks, you know, let's, let's get something else. Let's get something else going here. If if you want to do birds, that's fine, but let's go the Pelican route. You know, like let's try to find something that like, can we get a pigeon? Pigeons are cool. Can we get pigeons? Like I, I think, uh, you know, what about the Robins? I think a Robin is a solid bird. I think that'd be a good team name.
1: Well, back in the day, the Brooklyn Dodgers used to be the Brooklyn Robins before they became the trolley dodgers which that name looking back on it just you could not explain to anyone what a dodger means in the modern context hell i really couldn't tell you what it means i don't have much of a frame of reference for trolleys you know that's not my sort of thing um i i like to go with the traditional shitty team names i i can't okay i need to go back to this pigeons <laughs> pigeons you're you're joking right i have i have to make sure you're joking like
0: for liking the bird or for naming a team after it
1: yes
0: (laughs) okay i like a fat bird i'm sorry like that's why i like geese they got some thickness to them like i because you know i like to to play rough with animals when i get the chance and if I play rough with a fucking hummingbird, it's dead. If I play rough with a goose or a pigeon, I know it's it's going to be able to take it, you know? And so I like a thick bird. As far as naming a team after it, again, I don't know what I'm doing here, but let's, let's get off the beaten path. An important caveat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, you know, just let, let's get off the beaten path here. We don't have to name it after the Hawks every time. Like, let's get something else. It doesn't have to be the pigeons or the geese, but let's definitely not make it the ducks, you know, like let's go somewhere else with it.
1: I mean, I, the only team I can think of that's named the ducks are in the, um, are in the pack 12, um, in Oregon. Let me give my nominees for terrible team names. I don't like, I've never been a fan of the team named the heat. I don't know why. The, just, the single, it, like the, the non plural one,
0: like the magic, the thunder, what the fuck how do you refer how do you refer to that like people say you know i can't even think of a good example but like when people refer to a a singular team compared to a plural it just throws everything off i i just don't like it
1: well the jazz fit this description and also fit the description of being a nonsensical name for their area um i would say like there's as well yeah, well, the Grizzlies was a lot more relevant when they played in Vancouver, you know, a place where it actually has grizzly bears. I haven't I don't think there are any grizzly bears unless they're in a zoo, which grizzly bears are terrifying. I would not want to keep one of those in a zoo. Um, <laughs> my second curveball, Dylan, I, we need to get to this in the interest of show. But there was so much that happened today that the Big 12, I'm sure you saw this as well. Texas and Oklahoma are said to be leaving the big 12 reportedly for the sec. Nothing is set in stone yet, but conference realignment could be on the way. Dylan Hughes, if you could pick any conference for Purdue to join after conference realignment, would you have them stay in the big 10 or would you go to a different conference?
0: (sighs) Well, I kind of like college sports are the only sport where I take pride in the conference. Like, when the Big Ten's good, like I like that. Even though that hurts Purdue technically because they have tougher competition. You know, it makes you feel good when like you have a good team and a good conference because it's like you're not beating up on scrubs. But you know, I it would be nice to have easier competition. And I don't know where Purdue exactly could go. I mean, if you put them in the MAC, it's no one gives a fuck about the MAC. You know. So I don't know. I, I would probably just keep them put, but I'll just say this is what's happening is exactly why I hate college football because the sec just dominates everything. It's so stupid. And now we're going to put two more teams in there that, I mean, I st- I think Texas is going to get crushed. And I think it's hilarious that they think they actually belong in the sec. I mean, do they watch their own sports? Like Texas is on IU level where they just think they're so good every year and they suck every year and they make a bowl game, and they're like, holy shit, dude, we're awesome. It's like, you should have made the bowl every year the way you talk about your team. So, I hate Texas, and I am happy they're going to get crushed. I guess for competition's sake, like, you know, throwing Oklahoma in there may be, may be good, but I hate the SEC. Like, it ruins college football for me, because you just have the same teams good every year. I hate that. So, I, I don't care about college football anyway, so whatever, but... I think making the best conference even better is stupid.
1: Well, they might make the best basketball conference better too because apparently Kansas is in talks to join the Big Ten. So it might make the best basketball conference in the world even better. So you you never know, Dylan. You never know things. I think the Big Twelve is going to implode. I don't really think there's any way they could stay together unless they pull up some schools from mid major. And just be like, hey, Baylor, you're going to be the showcase school in this conference. Oklahoma State, you're going to be the best school in this conference. Like, it's going to be abject disaster. Kansas and Kansas football. Um, I'm not going to. I'm. Les Miles has had some uh, really fucked up stories come out about him. Uh, they happened at LSU, but I'm assuming if they happened at LSU, odds are, you know, you don't stop being a sexual harasser from one place to another, generally speaking, unless you're legally required to so less miles is fucked up so i don't want anything good to happen to that football program but it'd be the basketball program being in the big 10 would be interesting
0: yeah i mean it would make it stronger um which the thing is having a strong conference in basketball doesn't mean as much as football because like if you're trying to make the college football playoff you know going 12 and 1 in the sec like you're fucking awesome even having two losses, but in basketball, it just kind of makes your path harder. And like, obviously they consider your schedule when, you know, getting you into the tournament, but I don't, I don't think it helps as much as football to have a strong conference. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's interesting. And again, I take, I kind of do take pride in like the big 10 basketball, especially the fact that it's by far the best conference in basketball um and if Purdue sucked I wouldn't take as much pride in that <laughs> but they always fight their right through so it it's interesting i still think kansas is the most overrated basketball program in history wow uh, but i mean how many titles do they have like it's it's de- you know they have titles but it's way less than they should the way they're talked about every year
1: so you're saying kansas is fraud it's not just like bill self not like you know Joel Embiid you're saying the whole program the history is a fraud.
0: Yes, the the whole thing is a sham. Every player that come out that comes out of there except Embiid is not as good as they should be. Like ke- congrats Kelly Oubre, you know, congrats on the career you have that's going to end in a few years like, you know, it's they're all they're pretty much all disappointments Josh Jackson. They all they're all hyped up every year and they never they never do anything. So fuck them.
1: Wow. Um, on that note, I will say um, I heard that there's a triple option pass that's maybe coming this weekend where they're going to break all this down and they might just realign the conferences in the way that they want to. So I heard. I know Ryan Gregory's already done it today. He's rearranged the conferences in a ideal football way. And he is going. I think Devin will be doing the same thing. So. I, I'm getting a plug out of the way early. Make sure you check that out. I think if they record this weekend, I'll have that out on Monday. Just what a crazy turn of events in the college football world, but what a crazy turn of events in the basketball world as well, because I, we're here to talk about basketball. It's the Alex and Dylan basketball power hour. Um, I, I emphasize the wrong two words there. That's fine. Um, the Bucks win the finals. I, if you're listening to this by now, I'm sure you probably know this, but um, 105 to 98 in game six, All-time performance by Giannis Antetokounmpo. All-time. I really think there's no better place to start, Dylan, than with Giannis. I mean, like, I think he has the Hall of Fame already locked down. He's one of only three guys by the time he's 26 to have won. Or, yeah, by the time he's 26 to have won the finals, to have won MVP, and to have won Defensive Player of the Year. The other two, Michael Jordan and Nakeem Olajuwon. So I mean Dylan, just what were your what was going through your head when you were watching Giannis's game in game six? Like what was what were the emotions? Were you like, was your jaw on the floor? What was going through your mind?
0: I mean, I wasn't shocked the way he played to this point. I mean, like this is what he does. I think the craziest part going 17 of 19 from the line that was the icing on top i mean just so good after we talked about the hack a shack wasn't really working for the suns and just completely flushed that down the toilet like he was awesome and i mean yeah like the stats the stats are are hall of fame i mean he he was doing stuff that you know he was putting himself in a group like, oh, this one stat, only MJ and LeBron did it, or, oh, this stat, only MJ and, you know, Hakeem. Like, there's – if you're on multiple lists like that where you're like, oh, yeah, the only guys that have done this were, uh, oh, yeah, by the way, you know, a handful of the best players to ever play the game. I mean, he is – this playoff run has completely put his career, like, trajectory, I think, on a whole different level. Because up to this point, it's kind of been disappointing, you know, like we've been hyping him up for a long time. And yeah, two MVPs is one thing, but like, can you make the finals? Can you win the finals? And like he did it this year and he was, you know, by far the best player on the floor pretty much every night, even in some losses. So, I mean, he just completely changed how I think how we're going to look at him now. I mean, I think he went from being, like, a James Harden type of guy to, like, LeBron. Like, that's – he made that jump, you know? Like, he – James Harden has been on the edge for his entire career, and he's never put it together. And, like, we judge him for that, you know? Like, I don't want to put too much of the blame on Harden, but he hasn't been able to do it. And Giannis was like that too. And now he overcame that. So – I mean, I I think it completely changes how we look at him. And, yeah, like he's – I don't want to say he's a lock for the Hall of Fame because he's only played, you know, whatever, eight seasons, but – seven, eight seasons, but he's still, like – he's definitely on line.
1: I would say if he retired right now, he makes the Hall of Fame because the Hall of Fame has very low standards. I would say, for my standards on Hughes, my standards, I don't think Paul George and Jimmy Butler are Hall of Famers. Like, if I was making the criteria for the Hall of Fame – I think Giannis is a deadlock. Like, he just, what a fucking performance. We should have probably read the stats 50 points, 14 rebounds, five blocks. I don't think anyone has ever had 50 points and five blocks in a playoff game, with the exception of probably Wilt. Wilt probably did it, but they didn't track blocks back then. Important caveat. But I was in awe. Like, some of the shots he was hitting, some of the turnarounds, and he was flashing like a turnaround jumper to like 17 feet. We, I don't think we'd seen that from Giannis before. Like, he was hitting like 12 footer baseline turnarounds. He hit a tough couple tough ones from the elbow. And it seemed like these whole playoffs, he kind of risen to a new level in and of itself, right? Like, he was just getting so much better as each series progressed. <laughs> like, they were talking, I was listening to No Dunks the day after, and they pointed out in the Sun series, he only shot 40% from the field. And then in the Nets series, he took another step forward. Obviously, in the Hawks series, he gets hurt. But he was phenomenal in the three, three and a half games he played in the Hawks series. And then in this series, it just felt like he took like that final step to being the ultimate true super-duper star. That we, I'd say there's probably five of those in the league right now. And you could even quibble whether or not Kawhi is a super-duper star. I would have him probably on that level, but... I think that there aren't there are very many guys that you could say this guy, you give him the right supporting cast he'll lead us to a title for sure. And I think Giannis entered that echelon before the playoffs. I didn't think he was at this echelon, but now, I mean, just going through like my head, right. Of the memorable finals performances, even not just like closeout games, but I have LeBron game seven in 2016. I have LeBron game six against the Celtics in 2012 Kawhi um, in Game 7 in the second round, but none of those had the stakes of, I. other than LeBron, and the other one, LeBron Game 6, 2013. That was the only one that had anywhere remotely near the stakes that this one had. And Giannis, he brought Milwaukee its first championship in 50 years. <laughs> like, they hadn't won since 1971. My parents weren't born when the Bucks last won their championship. Like, it was just absolutely astounding what Giannis did and I don't I know we're going to give him plenty of laudits and everyone has but I think the words escape was just how dominant he was on both ends
0: yeah and again I mean we have to give credit to Bud for uh I mean he clearly tuned into the pod he had to have finally finally puts Giannis at the five and it just proved that no one can stop this dude and, and he can stop anyone at the same time on the other end like you know, I understand the regular season. He probably like, I want to, I want to give Bud, the you know, the benefit of the doubt and say that he was saving that for the playoffs um, because he didn't want to wear him out by playing him at the five, but you know, it became clear to us a long time ago, that was the best way to go. And is when they went to it, I mean, I would love to see plus minus numbers of what it was in the playoffs because he was phenomenal on both ends of the floor. I mean, as much as we love Aiden and as good as he was in the playoffs, he took Aiden at his element on defense, especially when it mattered. I mean, Aiden just could not score on him when it mattered. He he just was so out of it. And, I mean, Giannis had a huge impact on that. And, again, like just the, the post-scoring, he was unstoppable. Like they had three guys on him almost constantly, and he still scored on them. It was – It was amazing to watch. And at the same time, he did a really good job of getting some of those other guys involved. Um, I mean, Middleton had so many easy open looks because Giannis found him while half of the team was guarding him. (laughs) I mean, Middleton got so many easy looks like game five down the stretch, Middleton hits two huge shots that are both wide open. And a lot of that was because Giannis was taking so much attention. So, you know, that, that's what a, that's what a legend does, man. And I really think that he cemented his legend status with this playoff run.
1: So I, while you were talking, I pulled up the honest at the five on cleaning the glass. Shout out to cleaning the glass. They've really done as well all season, all season. So plus 12.3 differential and 275 playoff possessions, 108.1 defensive rating, 120.4 offensive rating in 198 possessions, the lineup of Drew, Connaughton, Middleton, Tucker, Giannis was plus 16.6. Just absolutely, like they scathed teams. And that lineup defensively just moved so well. Their defense just moved in perfect sync. And I mean, honestly, the drop coverage... By Giannis, when Giannis was playing the five, it really worked because Giannis, we talked about it in game four with the block. He could guard the roller and the the role man, not something like just anybody can do. It's just pretty much Giannis. <laughs> Pat Williams did it in a game earlier this season, but he's not at Giannis's level. Nowhere near it. We love Pat Williams, but he's just such an intuitive basketball player, right? And we brought it up last week how he's figuring it out. Well, I don't think figuring is the word. I think figured, past tense. There's no more shadow of a doubt that Giannis is, if not the best player in the league, he's absolutely in the top two. I think it's him and Kevin Durant, and I think that's the only two guys you can discuss for best player in the league right now. I mean, the way he shut the door on them, I brought. I forgot one closeout performance. This honestly was kind of eerily similar to Jordan in, 80, in 98. Obviously we didn't watch that one live, but he kind of closed the door on them the way that Jordan closed the door on the jazz and Middleton and uh, Middleton and holiday were both way better (laughs) than Pippen and Rodman were at that point. But same kind of thing where Giannis just controls the whole game. They both score. Jordan scored more than 50% of the bulls points while Giannis scored a little less of the bucks, 50% of the bucks points. And I I just can't believe it happened. Like I was so shocked that he put up fifty in a pl- in the clinching game of the finals after what we saw last year against the Heat, after what we saw in 2019 against the Raptors, I didn't think he could do it.
0: Yeah, and again, I, I just think that extra space of having it at the five was huge because I mean you could see it in the regular season. The the Bucks offense was just not as efficient when Giannis had the ball outside of the paint because he had to work his way down. They knew he couldn't shoot and it just became so clunky. And of course, when you have, you know, back earlier season, when you have Eric blood, so that obviously makes your life a lot harder in general. But when you're trying to play like that, it just, you're going to get shut down by good defenses. And, Again, as we talked about all year, you have two really good pick-and-roll ball handlers in Holiday and Middleton. There's no reason why Giannis should be handling the ball on the perimeter. He's unstoppable in the paint. If you get him running in transition, no one can stop him. These were all things that were very clear. And if you don't have Brooke Lopez you know, and Tucker on the floor at the same time with him to clog the space, it's, it's going to be easy money. And just putting him down low when you have a seven foot dude, that's not afraid to go up and, and, you know, score and get fouled. You have an offensive superstar, you know, and we kept, we've compared him to Shaq all year. I mean, that's, that's what Shaq did and look what Shaq was able to do, you know? So like, I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but I mean, this is definitely a guy that if, if they continue to build around him the right way, which the team they have in frame now is probably not going to change much which is good obviously looking forward we'll see but i mean this is a team that could very easily be a finals contender for a good few more years at least
1: and everyone's just doubting the bucks hell everyone's betting the bucks next year right but their defense is so airtight that i don't know like 7 games against the bucks Are we sure Kyrie and Harden? I mean, obviously, one of them will go off, right? Because they don't really have any other defenders as good as Holiday. But to be fair, there's no guard in the NBA who is as good as defense as Holiday is. But seven games against Holiday and DiVincenzo, that's a daunting backcourt. And then if you hold Kevin Durant at bay... You can. That's that's basically how they won the Brooklyn series, right? Is just by holding Kevin Durant at bay enough. They didn't do the world's best job on him, but they held him at bay enough, where I could absolutely see them winning. You know, I'm not gonna say they're a dynasty, right? Because that that's really hard to do nowadays, especially with all the luxury tax implications. Like we saw, Joe Lacob is probably the most wanting to spend owner in sports, and I think he tried to dodge the luxury tax this year, so. I don't blame them right for it's a lot of money, especially when you pay that repeater tax, but the Bucks, if they can keep this core together of Dante and I think Dante actually is extension eligible next year or this summer, it'll be interesting to see what they do with that. But then if they can keep content around, I, if they can keep Portis around, which would be a miracle. <laughs> like if you're a free agent, And just ignoring all the market stuff, right? And ignoring the places to live. I mean, Milwaukee's a pretty attractive destination to go play basketball right now. They won with a pretty fucking flaw. They played Jeff Teague 10 minutes a game and they won the finals. I mean, and we saw him in Boston this year. I don't know how Jeff Teague ended up in a finals rotation. I really don't. If they can add, like, let's just say Patty Mills played for Bud in San Antonio, I think. I think their time would have matched up there. Imagine Patty Mills says, Hey, I want to go play for Bud again. Or imagine Paul Millsap says, Hey, I want to go play for Bud again. Right. Or you have people that just want to play with Giannis. I think those are all very real possibilities now. Yeah. I
0: mean, we've seen these teams that win the finals, they, they get those ring chasers, you know, the, the, the older veterans that they've made their money and they're kind of just sick of losing or, you know, being first round exits in the playoffs and they're like, screw it, I'm going to go play for $3 million this year and, and try to win. And I'd be surprised if Patty Mills did that. Right. Uh, but Paul Millsap, I mean, that makes a ton of sense. And, hell, like Bobby Portis, I mean, after the finals, was saying how, like, this was – like, the Bucks kind of saved him from damn near depression. Like, I think he was on the Wizards last year. And like the, there was a whole bubble thing and he was just like, he'd said he was just down and out, you know, with the pandemic too. And the bucks like, you know, brought him in and he was just awesome. I mean, he was, I, I, I liked the addition, you know, right off the bat. And I mean, he was even better than I expected this year. And he was huge. I think he had 16 points in that final game. Like he was awesome. You know, he, he had some really good games and, that's a guy I think could actually stay. Like he definitely could go get a bag right now, but when you're making millions of dollars already, I think some of these guys are like, you know, I'd rather be happy and winning than rich. And I'm still rich. <laughs> I'm just not right. as rich as I could be. So I I don't know. You know, obviously people have different um wants and needs and all that and you know, either way, it's understandable, but I definitely think they could attract a few guys and that's all it takes. I mean, when you got when you got a big three like they have getting two or three guys surrounding them on top of what they already have I mean it's it's gonna be good and I mean they could upgrade over Bryn Forbes like they're gonna like their bench their bench guards were just not that good Connaughton was like definitely peaking I don't know if I'd expect him to ever be that good again but obviously it'd be good to bring him back too and, you know, Tucker could very well leave. Like, there's there's still a lot up in the air. But, yeah, I, I think they're going to be attractive to to a good group of veterans for sure.
1: Yeah, and, like, even here's, an, here's a name I'll throw out there. Like, we like this guy in Minnesota a lot. Like, Jordan McLaughlin, I think, will be a free agent this summer, right? A guy that could, you know, prove himself as the backup point guard in a role like that. We talked about, you know, maybe the Bucks taking a chance on somebody like Aaron Holiday, right, before the show. And I think that they have so many different avenues to upgrade. Hell, if they want to, they can get off of Lopez. Lopez, low key, is old at this point. Like he had a phenomenal playoff run, but you should definitely sell while his value is high because I don't think he could be as good as he was this year again. Like I honestly, you know, I've been pushing Larry dance for Brook Lopez for the last year, and I think that if you want to throw the thirty first pick the Cavs way, I mean, that's a pretty good pick to get for Larry Nance at this point. I think that just like, but you could make so many different subtle moves to upgrade your roster that I think that, you know, I don't even, I think they need to bring PJ Tucker back. I don't know if they will. I think he was a really integral part of their team and their chemistry, but you could maybe try to get Danny green in free agency. You have so many different avenues now, like Danny greens has been made a lot of money and I know you're not the biggest Danny Green fan, Dylan, but I'm sure you'd like him a lot more on a minimum contract than you would on a $15 million a year contract. So they have a lot of avenues to try to get better this summer, and I'll be curious to see how they use those. Um, let's go ahead and talk about real quick <laughs> Drew Holiday. And you brought up something before we started taping about Drew Holiday. I, w- I want you to talk about that now. <laughs>
0: Well, I was just saying that I think this may have been the best 36% shooting uh, performance of all time in the in the playoffs and certainly the finals. And by the way, 36 is much higher than I thought it was going to end up being because, man, he had some stinkers uh, down the line there. And he shot 41% for the entire playoffs. So, you know, this, again, we talked about this before, like, this is kind of who drew holiday is like, he's going to have games where he's just terrible from the field, but his defense is just so fucking good. So, you know, game five, he just rips the ball. Was it Booker or was it? It was Booker. Yeah. Booker, by the way, Booker was having a great game. That game Um, rips the ball out of his hands. I think they're up by one with like 18 seconds left, rips the ball out of his hands, throws it to Giannis and man, like that was one of the most exciting plays of the whole finals, I think. I mean, it was up there with like the Giannis block and some of the Middleton shots, I think. I mean, just such an awesome play and a perfect way to close out that game. I mean, he was he was massive. Like this last game, and by the way, that game, he shot 60%, 12 of 20. So he like we know he has it in him to shoot well. Like he shot 57% in game 3. He has good games, but game 1 28%, game 2 33, game 4 20% and then game 6 21%. But game 6 he had 11 assists, 9 rebounds, 4 steals. You know, um the game he shot 4 of 20, 3 steals, 7 assists, 7 rebounds. Like, he was making it up. He wasn't Eric Bledsoe where he sucks in one place and it just seeps out to everywhere else and he sucks everywhere. That 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 was the biggest difference. And we knew. As soon as they made that hol- the Holiday and Bledsoe trade, th- there was a major level up. Because it doesn't matter what Holiday does, there's fucking no way it's going to be worse than what Bledsoe does. There's just no way possible. Unless he's playing on one foot – And one hand, it's tough for him to be worse than Eric Bledsoe was. So even though he was really bad from the field most of the games, he was so good everywhere else that Middleton and Giannis could make up for it. And, you know, we talked early on in the series when they went down 0-2 that because, you know, game two, again, he shot 33%. And I think that was a game where Middleton was bad too. It's like you can't have both of those guys be bad because Giannis can't do everything. And, you know, Middleton was pretty good throughout the rest of the series, so it wasn't a problem. But Holiday was so good on defense, it didn't really matter what he did scoring-wise. And, again, the passing was huge. 24 assists in those last two games. I mean, you know, that that stuff adds up. And when you got someone like Giannis going, you just got to have a little bit of incremental – uh you know, additions from these other guys and you're going to win the finals. And they did.
1: They did. Drew was absolutely amazing. I mean, he almost had a triple double in one of the, one of the only times you'll see a guy. Oh, one of the only times you'll see a guy, not Westbrook division have four of 19 shooting with almost a triple double. That like never (laughs) happens. I had to say not Westbrook because I'm sure you could look up 75, not 75. You could look up like 15 instances of him shooting 20% from the field, to having a triple double, you know, that's a common thing for us, but his defense literally changed the series. When they put him on Booker, he shut down Booker. When they put him on Paul, they shut down Paul. Like they, the Suns didn't have an answer for him. They just didn't. And it showed because game Four and five, they're clearly like, okay, we're going to take Chris Paul out of this game. And then in game six, the Suns make a concerted effort to get Chris Paul going out of the gate. But who's who's Holiday guarding? He's not guarding Chris Paul. He's guarding Devin Booker. And I think that was intentional. I'm like, oh, they're like, okay, Booker's killed us the last couple of games. So we're not going to let him get his tonight. And after having two phenomenal games, and we're going to talk more about the Suns later when we're done talking about the Bucks. But in game six, Booker only shot eight for 22 after having two scorching games, the two games before. And I don't, and he had six turnovers and those are all, I think 80% of the turnovers Chris Paul had and 90% of the turnovers Booker had are attrib- attributable to Drew Holiday's defense. I think his defense was so good. He forced those two guys aren't careless with the basketball. That's not something you say about those guys. And yet they turn the ball over so much in this series. And I think, That had a lot to do with Drew. And honestly, I think it swung the series.
0: Yeah, it absolutely did. And again, we talked about this, I think, last pod that Devin and Chris were just they were rarely good in the same game after those first two games. And like you said, Holiday just putting an emphasis on whoever was the right guy that game. It just really made the Suns' life a lot more difficult because the Suns were, you know, they're built differently than the Bucks. Like the Bucks are are Giannis and those two other guys who are just on the next level down. The Suns are two guys on the same level, and then everyone else is relying on those two guys. So, you know, not to say the Bucks don't have guys that are not reliant, but. I mean, the Suns, their concentration of wealth, so to speak, is, you know, two guys. And again, Aiton was awesome, but Aiton's game is very it's tied to Chris Paul. Like eighty percent, I would say. An eighty percent correlation of Aiden's success is Chris Paul. So when Chris Paul is taken out of it, Aiton is kind of just in, in Wonderland. Like he, he doesn't really know on offense. He can't he can't do as much. So I mean, it was a great defensive strategy from the Bucks, and yeah, I mean, Booker was phenomenal. Like we're going to talk about the Suns, but Booker took a huge step up in my mind as well, as far as like the landscape of the league for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean what holiday was able to do on defense was phenomenal. And again, I didn't mention this, but he didn't really turn the ball over much either. Like, the most he had in a game was three, which he did three times. Three turnovers is just not bad when you're playing 40 minutes a game and you're the lead ball handler. Like, I'm not going to be mad about that, especially when you're putting up 11, you know, 10 assists a game. I'm not going to be mad about that. So he was careful with the ball too. And, like, again, a lot of bad shots, but everything else, he was solid, and it, that made the difference.
1: Yeah, I pulled up cleaning the glass again because I was curious what you were, what the, uh, the turnover percentage and assist percentage were holiday had a 30.7 assist percentage in the playoffs. And this is just for the whole playoffs, but for the, for the playoffs, he had a 10.4 turnover percentage, which pretty good. I mean, in the 38th percentile for the whole playoffs, I can't, I didn't have the time to sort it for just the finals, but he just, he didn't turn the ball over. I mean, the knock for me on holiday before coming into this year was he can't be a pure point guard. We saw his best season was when Rondo came in and he was pushed to the two. I thought 2017, 18, even regard, irregardless of the finals upset or not the finals, irregardless of the uh, first round upset against the Blazers was holiday's best season. Right. And I thought that was mostly because Rondo came in and made him play two, But this was, okay, Drew can play the one and he can play it really well. And does he make some dumb plays sometimes? Does he shoot the ball when you probably don't want him to shoot it? Yes. But all in all, when you have Giannis and Middleton on your team, I don't think that having Drew Holiday at the point guard is the worst case scenario for your team. I think that he did a really good job, not in spite of the circumstances, he did a really good job with the, circu- with the hand he was dealt running the point and that's there's not really much more you can ask for from him again i wouldn't say he's a pure point guard even after the series i would still kind of describe him as a little bit of a hybrid guard but that's not anything he does wrong it's just that's not i don't think him playing pure point guard is his when he's at his best on offense but he was also giving his absolute everything on defense and i think that explains why some of the shooting percentages might have been a little off you know you can't really complain when you're holding one of the other two elite guards in check (laughs) and you're giving the other, you're giving your team nine assists. Like I think that all in all you take that trade off with the shooting percentage.
0: Yeah. And I would like to dig back uh, through the numbers of the regular season. I would like to see his numbers with Divincenzo and without him because I would like to think he was, because we talked about in the pre-pod that, This was his first year shooting above 50% from the field. And, you know, Giannis and Middleton certainly have a hand in that. But I would like to think DiVincenzo does too. I mean, we talked about DiVincenzo for the past few weeks that, like, that was a dramatic loss for them. And the fact that they were able to overcome that and win the finals, I think, is an underrated part of this. Like, DiVincenzo was one of the better glue guys, I think, in the East. I mean, he was – you know, the way Joe Harris played with the Nets in the playoffs, like it w- he was terrible for the most part, you know, like that. And, I mean, if he was better, would they have beat the Bucks? Maybe. Like those glue guys really get overlooked because we all focus on the stars, which is understandable. But that glue guy that can reliably knock down threes and make a good pass, you know, play good defense are huge. Look, at we talked about Connaughton. Connaughton was massive in this series, even though the numbers may not show it. And, I mean, him stepping up, I think, replaced a lot of what DiVincenzo left out. But if DiVincenzo was here, this, you know, they may have won in five. Who knows? Because I really think he was that – he's that important to them. Um, so, you know, I, I'm i maybe going to blame some of that on – some of Drew's inefficiency on that. Because, again, there was a pretty stark difference in his efficiency in the playoffs compared to the regular season. So, you know, who, who knows? But either way, Drew was just phenomenal for sure.
1: So um, I'm looking at the uh, the lineups page on Clean the Glass, since you were curious. And it doesn't have individual shooting numbers, but with Drew Holiday with Dante DiVincenzo on the court, they shot 38% from three as a team. The best lineup was their starting lineup, their usual starting lineup. They shot 37.7% from three with Devin Chenzo out there, they shot 74% at the rim (laughs) with that lineup. And, you know, most of that is attributable to Giannis, but I mean, Middleton, Middleton was by far the best shooter on the Bucks, this playoffs and his shooting percentage has struggled, but he hit them when they needed him to. And they guarded, they, you have to guard Middleton out there. Cause if you leave him, we've seen in sequences, when teams leave him wide open, they're like, oh shit, we left Chris wide open. And he usually, usually cash it in.
0: Yeah, Middleton again, would, and we, we talked about this too, that Middleton was probably the most important player for this team because if they're not going to get a, a huge lead thanks to Giannis, they need someone to hit shots on the stretch, and that was Middleton. He did that all playoffs. He's done it in past years, and he did it in this finals too. Like I said, game five especially, he hit a bunch of shots down the stretch. I mean, even games where he shot poorly, he was hitting shots down the stretch. So, Middleton was huge. I mean, he was hitting some wide open looks, but he was also knocking down some tough ones, you know, getting to the line. I mean, he, Middleton was one of my favorite players to watch like before this, but I mean, he really put it all together in this playoffs and kind of just showed exactly why I love him because he's, he's probably like, he may be the most underrated isolation scorer in the league at this point you know, we, we all talk about Kawhi and, you know, Doncic and like all these guys that are really good at at just getting their own shot. And Middleton is consistently, you know, posting up and and fading away against good defenders and just knocking it right in their face. And he plays such an important role. And he was such a great counterbalance to Giannis down low. And those two working together has been really fun to watch. And, like I said earlier, him as a pick-and-roll ball handler, uh, that, that development in his game over the past few years has been huge. So, you know, they they were talking about how Middleton and Giannis have played together for Giannis' whole career. So they obviously have great chemistry. And I think this finals and this playoffs in general, we saw all of that coming to fruition.
1: Well, and didn't it kind of tie a nice bow on what you're saying about they've played together for Giannis' whole career? <laughs> with what was the most important play of game six? It wasn't anything Giannis did. Well, Giannis was being unselfish, but he got that handoff. He put his body in the exact right position to get Chris wide open for a 17-foot fadeaway, and Chris nailed it. And you're right. He is very underrated in that regard because he can do it off the dribble and he can do it off the move, too, which I don't think gets enough credit, right? Like you can run him off the handoff and he can pop, he can pull off the handoff. He can go back to the other direction from the handoff. He can do so many things. He's a very skilled scorer and ball handler. And I think I brought up the Joe Johnson comparison last week. Right. Did I bring that up to you? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's kind of where it shows where like he can do it in a variety of different ways. And he's not the only thing that stops Chris Middleton is Chris Middleton. He's not capable. I wouldn't say he's capable of being stopped himself. If that makes sense. Like he needs, he's not going to be like, okay, Oh, we did such a good job on Chris tonight. They had to trap him at certain points because he was so hot. Like he just was ridiculous in this series. And you really love to see Chris step up like that because he'd kind of been not the butt of jokes, but he had a really bad conference finals against Toronto in 2019. Really bad. He averaged less than 15 points a game they re- they took him out of that series because that was just a ridiculously deep defensive team. But this year, he re- excelled against the Heat, who are probably, they honestly probably did the best job guarding the Bucks this whole playoffs, other than the Bucks themselves. Like, they probably did the best job. He torched Brooklyn, he torched Atlanta, and he torched Phoenix for the most part. And Phoenix did a really good job guarding him but in game four, when he had 40 to match Booker's 40, it just was like, he you couldn't believe some of the shots he was hitting. Like, he was hitting fadeaways, floaters. he It feels like everyone's like, oh, Giannis doesn't have a bag. And while you could quibble with that statement, Middleton has a bag of tricks where he can just pull anything out of it. And it feels like the ball's going to go in 45 to 48% of the time.
0: Yeah, and you know, I love the whole Giannis doesn't have a bag thing. I mean, people were bringing those Harden comments back up, and by the way, Harden wasn't wrong. But I talk about ego a lot. It's so funny how everyone wants to talk about skill and shit. It's like, hey, hey, Harden, who has a ring, bud? Who has a ring, bud? You know, like who who cares about how you got it done? Like you got it done, and and yeah, middle. I mean, Middleton obviously extremely talented and. I mean, shout-out to him because game two was terrible, five of 16 from the floor. Like, that was terrible. But every other game, he was really good. And like you said, game four, 40 points, huge. Like I was talking about already, game five, huge. And even this game, he only had 17 points, but he was massive down the stretch as well. So, just just awesome watching those two work together and, and watching Holiday involved as well. And – uh I'm happy we're here, man. Like, I came into this series not necessarily rooting for anyone. And because of time, I was like, well, I'd like to see Chris Paul win because he's not going to have another chance probably. But the game – I just kept finding myself rooting for the Bucks, And, I mean, they lose the first two and they lo- they win four straight after that. Um, I'm happy to say that me and you were both strong on the Bucks, even though they were down 0-2. We still believed and they proved us right. So I'm uh I'm feeling a bit vindicated, I'll say.
1: I I am as well. I've been writing the Bucks since the Nets series. We didn't obviously cover the Net series since they split that with Lensanity, but um that was it's just been a wild ride going for the Bucks, but I feel like we have to talk about the Suns. And I know we've already been talking about the Bucks for like almost an hour. We can kind of speed through the Suns, because there really isn't much to talk about. I mean, Booker was phenomenal series 28 points a game 45% from the field only 27% from three but that's not surprising um 3.5 rebounds four assists needs to probably be a little better in those regards but for a first playoff still in you can't really have it go much better than it did for Devin Booker this year
0: yeah i mean he was just he was huge and like i was thinking um after that game i was like you know we came into the playoffs and I would say Booker Morant and Donovan Mitchell were like, they were just kind of the same to me. Like I was, I was kind of waiting to see, you know, which one of them could, could really impress me. And I mean, Mitchell had a great year last year, but this year he was fine. I I still, I still think I need one more series from him to really show it again. Like the, the nugget series was fantastic, but I think there's some um, – perhaps some some base to the whole bubble thing that maybe the bubble made it easier on some guys. And, I mean, we saw that when Conley was not out there, Mitchell was a lot worse. I mean, you know, John Morant was great, didn't win. I think it opened the door for Booker to be like, hey, like, you know, you want to look at these up uprising guards. Like, I'm a guy that can get you to the finals and – play my ass off and put up 28 a game, you know, and he didn't have a ton of help from Chris Paul. I don't think as much as he (laughs) hoped for, I mean, Chris Paul numbers wise looked fine, but there was definitely some games where he didn't show up. So he, he did what he could, man. I mean, 82 game or 82 points back-to-back games like combined. I mean, that's not a lot of guys can do that. You know, they're both losses, but obviously that's not his fault the three point shooting wasn't good. As you mentioned, you know, that's something he's got to work on, but I mean, his mid range scoring is just awesome. And, you know, getting to the rim and he maybe didn't get fouled as much as you would hope. Some of the games, he had nine free throws, one game and game one, he had 10, but he had zero five, five and three, the rest. So there's some things to work on, but I mean, overall he was great. And this is something I was thinking about too that less than two years ago, this Suns team was a joke still less than two years. Like there's definitely been quicker turnarounds and more impressive. Like the, the Spurs when they drafted Duncan, you know, obviously was probably the most impressive, even though they already had a hall of famer, but there's been teams that have turned it around quickly, but man, the Suns have been a joke for Dan near 10 years at this point. And they make a few good moves and all of a sudden they're in the finals. So You know, shout out to Booker for enduring (laughs) through all the pain and shout out to the Suns overall for at least making it to this point. And I don't think they're going away anytime soon either.
1: No, no. And that's what I feel like. Okay, I want to ask about Aiden first, because Aiden had an interesting series. He had 22 and 19 in game one. He played really well in game one. But for the series, he only came away averaging 14.7 points, 12 rebounds, a steal and a half a game, and a black and a half a game. I felt like, I'm not saying he was playing timid. I think more so he was tired. I think that Saric injury really hurt Aiden the most because I think he was just exhausted. That is just a huge workload for a 22-year-old center who probably hasn't played that much ever in his life, let alone in a finals game. I thought he played really well given the circumstances, but he obviously needs to be better going forward for the Suns to be continue being contenders.
0: Yeah, I mean, we talked about that early on in the series that their their depth situation at center was really bad. And, I mean, they kind of resorted to just small ball a lot to get eight and rest. And the Bucks size was just such a huge advantage for them that they killed them when they did that. But, yeah, I mean, I I definitely think Aiden was tired because defensively he didn't look as strong as he had earlier uh, in earlier series. And, I mean, having to battle Giannis has to just kill you when (laughs) you're young and not used to playing a lot of games and all of a sudden, you know, you're playing 40 minutes a night. So I think it's fair to give him him that uh, excuse. And, again, like I said, I think Chris Paul not being – as good definitely impacted him because I mean, Chris Paul is, he might be the best point guard in the league at getting centers involved. I mean, every center he plays with ends up being awesome. Like look at what he made DeAndre Jordan, you know, he, he massively improved DeAndre Jordan's game and he just wasn't as good. Like the bucks defense, I think played a part in that too, but I mean, Aiden was like a huge factor. And like you said, game one, 22 and 19. And that was something I noticed throughout the playoffs is if Aiden got going early, the Suns had a tough time of slowing down. And I think you could see the Bucks kind of taking him out early just so they didn't get that advantage. And, you know, maybe Aiden's confidence went down a bit too. Like there, there's a lot of factors that probably contributed to it. But, I mean, it, it's certainly – Really made the Sun's life a lot more difficult because it at that point it fell all on Booker and Chris Paul's shoulders. And you know, some of the games they were able to pull it out, but obviously the most games they were not. And uh, it just put a lot of pressure on their role players too. And if you're putting pressure on role players in the finals, <laughs> you're not in a good spot.
1: No, and I will say, going back to Ayton, I thought what the Bucks did really well is they just threw bodies at Aiden, right And on the defensive end like Lopez, I thought Lopez did a phenomenal job on Aiden in this series like really, really good job on Aiden like not he didn't take him out of the game. First of all well, in like a couple of the games, Lopez took him out of the game, but he really like he slid in right when uh <laughs> right when Aiton was about to catch the ball and all of a sudden Aiden has nowhere to go because Brooke Lopez Aiden needs to go up stronger. Right. I think that's if I had one criticism of Aiden coming out of the series, he needs to go up stronger. He wasn't coming up very strong when he was catching the ball really deep in the paint. Right. You would think a guy that is big as he is would dunk a lot more than he did in this series. He, he just didn't. And that's not like a criticism or anything, but he just didn't go up strong. And he'll probably learn that as he gets older, he's got incredible touch. I don't think anyone can deny that. Like he has really good touch on floaters. He got a, like a twelve foot jump hook to fall in this series. I mean, he has really good touch. He just needs to go up stronger, right? He needs to put his shoulder into guys. He is stronger as probably as strong as Giannis is. He needs to put his shoulder into guys, not like offensive foul them, but you need to put your shoulder into them, get create a little bit of space and go up for the jump hook or go up for the dunk, either or, but. I thought Lopez took advantage of the fact that Aiton doesn't do that and he stood his ground and he took Aiton out of the game almost. Yeah. Brooke
0: Lopez, again, a guy that I think didn't get enough credit throughout this playoffs. He was really good, man. He, when, when, uh, Giannis got hurt in the conference finals, he majorly stepped up on both ends of the floor. Like he, he really fulfilled that role of being that dominant force down low. And in this series too, he had some moments, man, where he was just really, really good. And he's not what he used to be, but he's still huge and he's still strong. And that's going to, and he can still jump. And that's, I mean, that's going to be, you know, that's going to put a guy like Aiden in a tough spot on both ends of the floor. So yeah, I, I agree. I, I think really just the way the bucks handled everything, they, I definitely – as much shit as we've talked on Bud, man, I think strategically, like, it was a complete 180 from what we've seen in the past from him. I, I think the way he picked apart this Suns team in the finals was really impressive.
1: I do too. And I thought that the way that they took – or the way that they guarded the pick and rolls, right? Like, they definitely did not just do drop the entire time. In game one, they, the problem was they came out and switching. Right. They came out and they switched every pick and roll and Chris Paul ate Lopez for lunch. Actually, speaking of Chris Paul, we got to talk about Chris Paul. I'm looking at the stats. This is the most misleading statistical series of all time. He <laughs> finished with twenty one point eight points a game, eight point two assists on 55, 52, 75 splits. I was watching those games, Dylan. I did not feel like he was that good. I, I, I just really I feel like the stats are very misleading in this case because it felt like he was he turned the ball over 21 times, which is not usual for Chris Paul 49 to 21 assist to turnover ratio. That's not like that's almost two to one for the whole series. I, that's not usually Chris Paul. Um, it felt like he was very passive at times. Even though he ended up taking 100 shots for the series, it did not feel like that many. It felt like there were some games where he only took 10 or 11 shots. Am I I crazy here for saying the stats are lying to me?
0: No, because I'm looking at these stats. So obviously the 5 of 13 game 4 was bad. Game 5, I don't recall him being good at the end of that game. I can't remember off the top of my head. But, I mean, he had 21 points on 9 of 15 shooting, which sounds great. But they kind of needed him to be that closer. And, like, that's what he was in the regular season. And that's what he was with OKC last year. Like, that's what we really commended him on was being able to get out of the way but also step up when they needed him to. And I think that played a huge part in the Suns getting here. But I don't think he really stepped up as much at the end of these games as they needed him to. And, yeah. I mean, these stats look awesome. <laughs> I think most guys in the league would love to shoot 49% from three in a series. But, yeah, the turnovers were really out of character. I mean, he had a three-game stretch where he had six, five, four, and five. Just really un-Chris Paul. And it was – uh yeah, like I said already, it, it put a lot of pressure on Booker and those role players to kind of come up at the end of games. And it just – Milwaukee had the momentum. They very clearly figured them out on defense, and they they just had no shot.
1: So in Game Five, if I'm remembering correctly, he had two three pointers, and he hit that tough floater over Giannis in the last like minute of the to make. He had the floater that made it a one point game before Holiday got the steal and threw the alley oop in Game Five. Um, I think that what the Bucks did, and I we brought up the Bud thing what the bucks did so well is they kind of everyone criticized the bucks right all year like oh they drop too much oh they give up too many wide open jumpers on the pick and roll i think they kind of played that on its head and i think i might have said this last episode but just in case my point didn't cross get across anybody everybody um they kind of played drop and said okay you guys are gonna beat us you and chris ball booker and chris ball you guys are going to beat us with these mid-range jumpers and nobody else is going to beat us right like you two are going to have to make every single shot because they took bridges out of the series after game two bridges had 27 points in game two you take that out I'm, how many points did he have for the series you take that out he's averaging nine points a game for the series right you take out they took out Jake Crowder for the most part. Jake Crowder had some really good games back in Milwaukee, but in Phoenix, he kind of reverted back to his mean. Cameron Johnson was amazing in the series. I can't even deny that. He was really good off the bench. He probably should have played a lot more. <laughs> I probably would have played him over Crowder in spurts. Um, Campaign got his when he needed to, right? When he was actually in the game, but Monty didn't trust him enough for whatever reason. You take out all, You take out Johnson, you take out Crowder, you take out Bridges, and that's honestly... You take out the Suns main advantage. What you brought up earlier is this their factory to succeed, right? Like the Suns needed Booker and Paul to set up those other three guys, and aid to an extent. But if you take out Bridges, Crowder, and Cam, or you take out one of them, even it makes the Suns offense so much more one-dimensional. Like they were basically just running isolations all the time. And you have to give Booker credit in game four and five. He made shots over Holiday. over Well, not Holiday. Tucker was usually guarding him. And you have to give you have to give Booker credit for that. But then you also have to wonder, why didn't they try to run more different action <laughs> to try to get their other guys going when that was the whole key to their success? You could argue, they don't win. <laughs> they get blown out in game two if Bridges doesn't have that emergency 27 because Aiden was pretty bad in game two. So you needed your fourth best player to put in 27 points to win game two. And I think that them taking out the role players is really what helped the Bucks win the series.
0: Yeah. And by the way, game four was a horrible offensive game to watch. <laughs> I mean, it ended up being 109 to 103, but man, like there was a lot of scoring at the end of the game that kind of pushed that up. Like Booker, Dan Muir scored half the sun's points. Like he was, man, he was down the stretch. Like he was the only guy that was doing anything. And that's why the bucks were so easily able to pull away. Cause you know, they only won by six, but it was, it was the Booker show. And if you're forcing one guy to be the guy in the finals, it's going to be really tough to pull that game out. Like you gotta, it's gotta be like a Kobe level performance for you to win off the back of one guy. And again, I think that's why the Bucks had such an easy time winning four games in a row was because their defense led to offense. If you have a team where your defense can lead to offense, you it's going to be a lot easier to score points, obviously. And they were good in the half court too. But I mean, as we talked about the end of game five, I mean, they clinched that game on a defensive possession. So they're, they're, the way they played defense pretty much directly resulted how they played offense and, you know the Suns just couldn't find that same synergy.
1: And I sent Caleb this stat. He used it on Linfinity. Let me give you the updated version. So for the series, Devin Booker field goal attempts in the fourth quarter, thirty-one assists, two. His first two assists in the fourth quarter were, or his only two assists in the fourth quarter, came in Game Six before Game six he did not have any assists in the fourth quarter which is fine he was really fucking good in the fourth quarters but you have to and i think this is part of the youth of him and of bridges and of johnson i know johnson's 25 but he's still young in the league and aiden right you have all these young players and they're figuring out what they're good at and what they're not good at in the finals and i think this actually leads me probably to the last thing we got to talk about before we close today i think the suns Obviously we're recording this on Friday, be out on Friday. Like it has been the last couple of weeks. Um, None of the off season stuff has happened yet. None of the trades have started except inexplicably the Horford trade, which happened in the middle of the playoffs. I don't understand that. And I still don't. Um, We haven't seen any trades yet, but sight unseen so far. I still think the Suns right now, I'm not going to say they're the favorites, but I think the Suns could very well get back to the finals next year. If they bring back Chris Paul.
0: Yeah, I think they're in a good spot. I mean, I still love their wing rotation. I think those guys are all going to get better next year. I think Aiden's going to be better. And the bench has got to be better. But like, They're going to get a better center, or it's just going to be Sarge. But I'd be surprised if it was just Sarge again. I don't think Sarge Um, will play
1: next year, if I'm going to be honest. that's, That's a fair point, yeah.
0: If he does, it'll be like very late playoffs, most likely. So... Yeah, I guess they they don't have a they don't have a, uh uh much of an option there, but you know I I think um, as you mentioned campaign I I think campaign was good man I don't understand why he didn't get more run I I think he would have helped them a lot in some of those games because man he was like Jordan Clarkson mode a lot man like he could just get buckets you know and that was something they needed so maybe they'll try to upgrade there I don't know. If, if he doesn't trust campaign as much, you know, we'll see, but I definitely think there's room for improvement on the bench and who the hell knows what's happening in the West at this point. If the Lakers get a point guard, you know, that's going to obviously put them at a better odds. I think the nuggets are still really good. Uh, got a shot, good shot at the finals if they make some small upgrades.
1: I don't, don't want to say sorry, go ahead. I
0: don't want to say uh, Dallas yet because I don't I've I've lost a lot of faith in them to this point. So we'll see. But I mean, I think the, the Suns are definitely in in that top tier of final West teams right now for the finals. But again, this this offseason is going to be nuts. I can feel it. So who the hell knows who's going to end up where that'll obviously play a big role. But I mean, Chris Paul going back to the Suns definitely keeps them in a good spot.
1: Well, and again, we don't know if he's going to go back. He's definitely going to decline the player option. He's definitely going to try to get more money. The three Chris Paul destinations seem to be either returning to Phoenix, trying to get to the Lakers, or trying to or going to the Knicks. And I think I would go back to the Suns if I were him, um, if Starber's willing to pay. And I think that, honestly, it's rough to do when he's uh, when he's injured. But I would trade Sarge for Mason Plumley. Hmm. I think Mason Plumley, he could really help their team. He does not everything <laughs> that Aiton does, but he can give you, he gives you kind of the different look that Sarge gave you with the passing and stuff, while also doing the role man stuff that that Aiton does. And I think that you know you keep your your first round pick with like twenty eight whatever it is, and you try to select a guy like maybe you try to get Jared Butler. From Baylor, someone like that who can help you right away. I think that there will be guys in their pick range. I'll let me pull up Tangathon real quick. I'll see where they're picking. But there's someone that'll help be able to help them. So that yeah, they're picking 29th. I think that they can find someone to help them. And I don't think it's unrealistic. I'm not I don't think this finals matchup will occur next year. But I don't think it's unrealistic. Like even with Brooklyn getting better, I don't think it's unrealistic to say that one of these two teams will more likely than not end up back in the finals. I don't think it's unlikely to say that at all. Yeah.
0: I think Mason Plumlee would be awesome. I, I think he was great in Denver. I really do. Like, I think he, like I said, he kind of played a, a, a Jokic light role where obviously the passing was not nearly as good. The shooting wasn't as good. Like he was way worse at everything, but that style of play helped their offense flow really well. Cause he moves the ball, man. Like there's no denying that. And I think with their team, the way they move off the ball and the shooting they have, I think that kind of guy would be an awesome fit. So yeah, that, that's the kind of move that I think would really solidify their chance of getting back. Like they don't have, you know, obviously outside of Chris Paul coming back, they don't have to do a crazy amount of, you know, improvement to be considered one of the best teams in the West. It's just a handful of small moves
1: exactly like they are really really close to me like I think this experience I think the losing in 19 and 20 was good for Giannis and Middleton and I think this is going to be good for Booker Bridges and Ayton I really do obviously Chris Paul has lost 75,000 times in his career there's no denying that at this point he's I'm not going to say he's a career loser but he's just lost a lot in his career it, ha- it happens you play 16 years you're going to lose in some pretty heartbreaking ways. <laughs> but i think that if he comes back like i don't he's going to age so well on this team especially if they could if they're able to attract the kind of free agents we were talking about the bucks attracting right there's bound to be somebody who's going to see what happened in phoenix this year and be like okay i want a part of this right i don't know what's going to go on with the lakers <laughs> you know what i mean i think that's a really fraught situation there because yeah Okay, how healthy is AD? How healthy is LeBron, right? LeBron looked... We didn't talk about the Lakers series because we didn't have it, but holy shit, LeBron looked bad in that series. He, I was watching the field goal attempts from the first two games. He didn't get to the rim, but like six times in the half court. Six in two games. Like, that's not the LeBron we've come to know and love. So, and then you don't know what's going to go on with Jamal Murray's health. I don't think the Clippers... God bless them. If Kawhi plays at all next year, I don't think that they're going to, I think the only way they win the title is if Kawhi comes back before the end of the regular season. I think that's the, really the only way they're going to be able to pull it off. Like they had a monster run this playoffs, but they also played the jazz who suck on defense. Speaking of the jazz, I think they're going to go back to the three through six range. Um, Portland's going to fall off cliff. So you really don't know what's going to go on in the West next year, but if they bring back the majority of the same team, I think they could make another run at it.
0: Yeah. The Lakers point is, is very key. Like I I think I said this on a podcast a few weeks ago, maybe, but I think their windows closed already. I mean, LeBron and, you know, not getting to the rim is one thing, but if you've really watched them the past two years, especially, LeBron has just become really comfortable with the pull-up three. And that scares me. Because, first of all, he's making them. It's not about that. But it's just the the fact that he's not willing to throw his body at the rim like he used to. I mean, this was a guy that was just a fucking Jaguar getting to the rim, man. Like, he was not scared of anyone. Like, he was going to pound in there and get fouled or get a bucket. And... Recently, it's been a lot of posting up. It's been a lot of shooting. And, you know, as as you've talked this year, that you think, you know, he's going to age well because he is such a good passer. And that's true. But let's not act like his scoring isn't important too. And if he's going to start resorting to pull up threes, his game changes a lot. And I don't trust Anthony Davis's health for a second. I mean, he's had some good health years, but the majority have been, he's been at, at, at best nicked up, you know? So I, I just don't trust that. And even if they get Kyle Lowry or someone, you know, you got to have all three of those guys healthy. And by the way, Kyle Lowry is getting old too. And he's had some injury issues recently. So I don't know. I, I think that I still think that, you know, just completely doubting that team is, is a bad idea, but I mean, shit, Kyle Kuzma thinks he deserves 20 shots a game. So, you know, I think there's a lot to figure out. And apparently Talon Hurt and Tucker has somehow become the most coveted, you know, five-point-a-game scorer of all time. But I, I don't know. There's there's some weird stuff happening with that team. But, yeah, I, I think there's a lot to be figured out before setting a pecking order. But the Suns with Chris Paul back would definitely be in a good spot.
1: By the way, there's a Lakers free agent like lost in all this mess. I if I'm a contender. I'm trying to steal Ben Macklemore. I loved what he did in Houston reclamating his career. And then he goes to the Lakers. He doesn't do much. I don't know why. I don't know why he didn't play. They really could have used that space because they had no shooting at all. Absolutely none. If I am a like if I'm the Bucks, I'm saying, hey, Ben McLemore, come here. We know you have an NBA defensive body, whether or not he actually plays. I'm trying to steal basically all the Rockets guys. I told, I texted this to you. I'm trying to steal Daniel House. I'm trying to steal uh, David Nwaba. I'm trying to steal basically anyone who's on the run. That's not Jay Sean Tate. I'm trying to be like, hey, hey, uh, hey, guys, give me uh, Eric Gordon. <laughs> I'm trying to do that kind of stuff. But it's going to be a crazy offseason. By the next time we talk, Dylan, the draft will have concluded and it'll be... I think full off season by the next time we talk. So free agency won't have started, but we'll, we'll discuss all the trades and free agency and draft stuff next week. I think that's fair to say.
0: Yep. And I'll just say on your rockets point that if you're not trying to grab Kyrie Thomas, are you even doing your job?
1: You and your Kyrie Thomas agenda. I think, are you Kyrie Thomas's agent? Um, not
0: yet. I should be because I don't know how many other people really care about his career, but I mean, the kid can ball, man. Just give him, give him a shot. He had some good games in Houston the end of year. Come on, someone do it. Someone do it.
1: Shout I to Kyrie Thomas. I don't think we read Giannis's final stat line. I want to give it justice at the end. I'm not gonna. We're not, we're not going to dive into it. But 35, 13, five, and 1.8 blocks game. Like holy shit! Just that in itself is a Hall of Fame performance in the finals. But I think we we're we talked about everything we wanted to talk about here. Um, Divine rhyme. You guys had an excellent one wrapping up Sturgil Simpson month. What's your uh? You announced this on the pod, but what's your next month for Divine Rhyme?
0: We're doing Mac Miller, baby. It's um it's an important guy for me and Will. And it was it was coming at some point. And I felt like Destiny was reaching out to me with some uh some random playlist plays. A lot of Mac Miller popping up, so we're gonna we're gonna do it, man. It's gonna be a fun month.
1: We also gotta talk about your manifestation real quick because I don't think you've I think you recorded the pod then the next day or the day after it came out was when it was announced you guys manifested the second album this year. It's incredible. First J Cole, now Sturgill Simpson. What's going on with you guys? What's going on with you in particular? Can you tell the future? You know, I think
0: this whole uh, journey I've been on the past year, I've just really been uh getting in touch with the spiritual side of the world. And I think it's just, you know, that connection I have is just really um manifesting itself in the physical world, man. Like I'm, I'm, I'm literally speaking things to existence and the Karis Levert thing, I mean, was instantaneous. Like that, that was some of the most magical things I've ever done. I mean, literally instantly I'm watching Karis Levert highlights. Five minutes later, I check my phone. He's on the Pacers. I, I just, that one was shocking, but J Cole and Sturgill Simpson, both within days of us, finishing up those weeks or those months of, you know, the discussion all of a sudden new album and Sturgill Simpson was a much bigger shock because he just released the two albums that we just discussed, you know, the end of last year, like he's not a guy that releases albums, like every six months. And we even talked about that in the pod. Like we just, we thought it'd be, you know, probably the end of this year at the earliest and like two days later, new announcement so I think we're on a we're doing some stuff man I don't know what it is yet but there's something brewing here
1: something I think Divine Rhyme just there's something in the water and I think that it, it just has something it has that it factor you know you don't know you can't find it but you know it when you see it so um make sure you check that out I already plugged the potential future T.O.P. I know RG's feeling a little under the weather So there's a chance that that might not happen, but it sounds like they really want to get this done because there's a lot going on in the college football world with this Texas and uh, Oklahoma stuff. So make sure if they drop that, make sure you check that out. Circle City Cinema. Zach is going to try to drop uh, favorite movies with Devin Voss, The Wolf of Wall Street, next week. So make sure you check that out. Lynn Sanity, Caleb and uh, Bryce will be back on Monday. I think I might be joining them. I'm not sure yet. Draft time. And you know those guys do college basketball, so they're going to have all your uh, draft needs except for the international guys i i think we have a general level of comfort on the international guys but it's not like i've sat down and watched their games but make sure you check that out um battleground i think we're gonna try to get that back either next week or the week after that sometime the playoffs just kind of screwed everything up we went all in on the playoffs with linsanity and us so we we devoted a lot of coverage to that but if we can get the uh, battleground back that's great um, I won't be I won't be upset by it at all. And then I'm trying to think of what else. Oh yeah, from one young soul to another. All right. I know you have another book coming on the way. I know you might be writing it at a Sergio Simpson pace. Who's to say? Um all right. Listen, I got nothing for you this week, all right. Oh no, you know what? I'll find out what your favorite fruit is. I'll go to the grocery store and I'll buy all of it. The day I know you're going, I'll scout your car. I'll find out the days you go to the grocery store. And on days where you go to the grocery store, I'll buy all your favorite fruits. I'm just sick of it. What's worth more, Dylan? $7.50 or knowing your favorite fruit is going to be at your local grocery store?
0: You know what I think you should do on top of that is wait outside the store knowing they don't have it and mark it up like a thousand percent. So they're completely at odds. They're they're either going without their favorite fruit or they're paying like 10 bucks for one apple.
1: Oh, man. You know, you you are my accomplice on this, my friend. <laughs> you are not anywhere near innocent.
0: I'm not. But hey, man, I quite literally have um, a hand in this. I mean,
1: you it know, is your book,
0: it leads it leads to money in my pocket either way. So either I'm making either I'm making some good fruit profits or I'm making good book profits. Either way, it's money, baby.
1: A good way to look at it um <laughs> i think i think that's all we got for today um this pod will be out probably about an hour after this is done so dylan once again thank you for joining me
0: thank you